Like we shouldn't have left you. Welcome to another edition of Running With War. My name is Gabriel Wilkins. I be him. And up above me, right above me, I got my man. Not the whole team with us today. Drew couldn't be here. Chris couldn't be here. Steven couldn't be here. But got my partner in crime, Josh Hicks, with me. How you feeling, Josh? My God, as always, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you, man. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We got a lot to talk about. Got a lot to talk about. Got a lot to celebrate. Um, in a game in which the defending champion, Chicago Sky, had their backs against the wall against the New York Liberty. They found a way to rise above it all. And in a series deciding game three, pulled out a valiant road victory, winning 90 to 72 over the New York Liberty. Um, Kalia Copper reigning um, WNBA Finals MVP and Allie Quigley reigning three-point shootout champion in the WNBA, combined to score 30 points on 10 for 22 shooting from the field in the skies win on the road as the two finished with 15 points apiece, while Candace Parker and Courtney Vandersloot scored 14 points apiece with 10 assists combined to help the champs stave off elimination. Um, Benijah Laney finished with a game high 15 points and five boards for the Liberty alongside an all-star guard Sabrina Ionescu, who finished with 14 points and a valiant effort from the New York Liberty led behind first year coach for the Liberty veteran head coach around the WNBA, Sandy Brondello. So with all that said, uh, Josh, you know, this was a series, man, after game one, you know, it, 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 it was some pressure on them. And like Sandy Brondello said in the post game conference um, yesterday, she, she said she feels like after they stole that game one at, at, on, on the sky's home floor, that um they kind of woke them up a little bit. What you think about that? Agree. Um, you know, she knows what it's like to be close to a championship stage, especially since she was the team, she was the head coach of the of the Phoenix Mercury that actually was going up against the Chicago Sky when they won their title last year. So she knows what it means to get to that type of level and what it means to wake a beast. Uh you that the New York Liberty definitely gave the Chicago Sky a wake up call. Um, but that was but the last time we talked, we knew there was gonna be a little bit of a fight. Um, it's always going to be a fight when you have Sabrina on your on your on your squad being and you know doing all things that she did in the game one performance that she had. Oh man, yeah. she had a heck of a rookie, uh, you know, outcome. But unfortunately, you know what this series showed was there's a difference between getting to the playoffs and winning in the playoffs. And yeah. Chicago Sky took it to another level in Game Three in you know pressure situations where they not only responded in Game Three with a huge win on the road. But they came out with a 40-point beatdown on game two on their yeah. home court. You know, that was them sending a heck of a message, letting them know, like, we are champions for a reason. And, and it starts with adversity, you know, you know, you know, how you respond to adversity. And game two, it was just a, a whole team collective effort. But game three, to me, outside of what you just mentioned with, you know, KFC doing her thing along with uh, Allie Quigley, shout out to the Blue Demon Nation. But um, it's also the veteran. This is why you got Candace Parker. She had an overall game where she was almost printing up triple double, triple double numbers and being so active on both ends on the floor, which made it smoother for the Chicago Sky, not just offensively but defensively as well to crank up the pressure. And that was the key, the vital key factor to me when watching that game. What really took the Sky to the to the to that championship level that we know that they're capable of playing. And for the most part, I've been playing all season long. Well said, Josh. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, when I when I looked at the series after Game One, you know, it, I, I was I was more concerned for the WNBA 
just for the standpoint of even though you know they they've gone from the single elimination format to a best of three series you know that could have went ugly but like you said the champs responded and i do think it it started with game two the way they came out defensively and set the tone playing in the passing lanes creating points off of turnovers as carolyn peck was talking about late last night i was watching on sports center to me that's what's going to make or break this guy's team and their chances as to whether or not they repeat as champions which they have every capability of doing and becoming the first team since the 0102 sparks i believe to repeat in the WNBA. it's been a mighty long time since this happened but they definitely showcased a lot of veteran poise um you could tell that the game one loss did wake them up a little bit it's anytime you lose on your home floor like that especially when they had the game under control and sabrina ionesu took over late uh, a player who in her own right will, will be in many more playoffs down the road i, I don't think this would be the last that we hear from the liberty but with all of that being said i, I think that the sky showed incredible poise also got to give a lot of credit to rebecca gardner man coming off of the bench making big time plays defensively playing the passing lanes like a free safety um creating you know turning turning defense into offense and using elite level footwork on a block to even you know shield guards off and get buckets um she's been a godsend for this team uh you know you hear a lot of people talk about well why didn't they scout her people don't realize how hard it is to crack a WNBA roster with the limited roster spots but I give kudos to James Wade, who was recently named the executive of the year in the WNBA for finding her in their scouting department, man, because that was a hell of a find. And you're talking about a team that can go 10 deep. Like you didn't even see Dana Evans until garbage time. And even she got off a little bit. But the thing that impressed me the most last night about the win against the Liberty was when the Liberty came out in that fourth quarter, went on a real quick run. I Nessel hit a couple threes, hit a couple shots. And that crowd started getting back into the game after the sky built up a big-time double-digit lead. For them to go on a 16-0 run when they did, that was key. And I think a lot of that was led and fueled by Candace Parker's unselfishness um, throughout the game, not just then, but throughout the game. It was a moment early in the game where I can remember she had a wide-open three-point shot. She kicks it out to Allie Quigley, who had a, a slow start to the series, and passed up a, a good shot for, Anita, for an even greater shot. And, you know, Allie knocked it down. And I think that really got her rhythm going. Vandersloot set the tone offensively with the pace. Um, you know, that, that was a big-time win. It, it, it was a scare, but it, 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 I think it was a scare that they might have needed in order to prevail forward and, and try to get to that ultimate goal once again and what could be the last dance for this group. Yeah, all very good points, Gabe. And I think uh, alluding to – what you just said as far as um, the offense and how Candace Parker was selfish. I think another key to what made this guy really take over in that game three, especially during that 16-0 run, was the fact that the team's ability to switch and make necessary adjustments offensively. We're talking about taking mm-hmm. advantage of mismatches. There were plenty of times yeah. when New York Liberty was switching a lot and the Skywalk Sky were able to move the ball offensively to get to those sweet spots for those mismatches to be exploited. Um, you talk about Sloop running the offense. Sloop was a maestro, especially in the second half of one play in particular, where she knew Candace Parker was mismatched with one of the new, or small New York Liberty guys. And she waves her off, passed the ball to Kalia, and told Kalia pretty much to throw the lob. And <laughs> Candace Parker with the and Candace Parker caught that ball and laid that thing in. It's moments like that that separate you from just being a playoff team to a championship team. And, and, that, and that mentality, that IQ of a basketball play started with your point guard, your maestro, your leader of the team. 
And that's what makes Sloot so valuable, not just for her ability to pass the ball, facilitate in ways to get people, you know, open and into the right spots for them to execute, but also how to orchestrate an offense, move things around to make sure that each person can effectively, you know, to do their role. So I think that was a big thing for the sky that you could tell from a different perspective who you're dealing with. And the sky made a statement showing in the NBA. This is who you're dealing with. You're not just dealing with the same sky of old. This is a revamped sky who now has championship pedigree on their on, on their side. They they also have championship pedigree, added more championship pedigree to the team with Emma Mieseman, who has came alive in the second in the second half of that series. So once they get her going and get her flowing with this offense, that's already know that we already know is pretty much when it's on unguardable. I don't know. Sky definitely have a good chance to repeat. They have a very good chance to repeat, but it's going to take a collective effort, and we got to give a shout-out to James Wade, like you just mentioned, for making those adjustments. Yes, he won executive of the year. He just signed an extension today, which has him connected to the team up until 2025. So he's here for the long haul. Um, so congratulations to Coach Wade on that. But it's moments like that in that series where you realize that at the end of the day, you're dealing with, you know, you're not just dealing with some playoff. You're not just dealing with the playoffs. You're dealing with championship runs. And when you got one under your belt, you can know you know how to respond in adversity when adversity hits. That's what the Chicago Sky did with that whole with this whole series. And it's not going to get easy. It's not going to get easier. So this is a good test as they prepare for the next round. I'm glad you brought up the fact when you say that it's not going to get any easier because, as we know, the Sky will face the winner of the Dallas Wings Connecticut Sun series, which game three is scheduled to tip off tonight at eight o'clock on ESPN. Um, Arike Agunabale, it's not, it, it don't, no one really knows about her status. Last time I checked, it was a game time decision with the groin injury. Um, but Dallas has fared well, surprisingly, without Arike on the floor as opposed to with her on the floor in spite of being one of the game's top scorers. Out of those two teams, and I know you've been to some Sky Games covering them, you know, off and on throughout the summer. Between those two teams, who would you like to see them match up with in the semifinal round, knowing that, you know, as you said, that it's not going to get any easier. You got a, a, a Vegas and Seattle semifinals, which would be set to tip off Sunday afternoon as well. Uh, so, you know, who, 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 who but, but, but keeping the Sky specific, who would you rather see them face between the winner of the Connecticut Dallas series? I'll if you want to talk about an easy way to get to the to get to the finals, I would prefer the Dallas Wings, but because because I mean John Paul Jones, that's a whole other story. When you talk about what she brings to the table and the fact that she's so versatile on both ends on the floor, and not just versatile from obviously offensively, defensively, but specifically offensively, when you talk about pick and pick and pop situations how she spreads the floor, that could be a nightmare for someone like Emma Mieseman. Even though we know she's great offensively, she can, she struggles, you know, guarding the perimeter uh, defense. And that is something that the Sun can take advantage of. I, I And I think John Paul Jones is going to be the key X factor for the Sun if they were to play the Chicago Sky and give them problems. So if, they were to, if I was the Sky, I would prefer to go with the Dallas Wings, knowing that even though you got Enrique on, on their side, Arike, Arike, she's streaky. You have nights where she's great. You have nights where she's not. 
you can live and take with that, especially with your with your perimeter defense, knowing that you got Kalia Copper and Rebecca Gardner who can guard the perimeter the way that they can. You can take your chances with that. It's hard to take a chance on John Quill Jones with what she brings to the table. So I would prefer Dallas for this guy to, to play. But like I said, it's not going to get any easier. It's, if Connecticut some beat the Dallas Wings tonight, they got they're gonna have a lot on their plate to fill with uh, with John Quill Jones on, uh, leading that front. And it's gonna be tough. Yeah, John Quill Jones, the reigning WNBA MVP. Yeah, she's definitely a problem. I I, I like Connecticut, and you know Connecticut will be hungry considering that these two teams met up in the semifinals last year. Um, as the sky had to overcome the sun in order to get to the finals and beat the Phoenix Mercury uh, to capture the franchise's first championship, you, you know they're going to come in with some added motivation for sure. Right. So I can see why you would want to go with Dallas. I can also see why you want to go with Dallas since that they're the younger team um, between the two uh, and, and, the, and the team with the least amount of playoff experience. And Connecticut, they definitely going to have every incentive because it, it's a lot of um, what ifs, you know, regarding their future. This is the team that's been the playoffs year in year out falling short year after year and you know they're gonna be on a mission so yeah i, I can see why you say dallas for uh for certain but i want to move on from that topic and i want to get into the wilson dreamville pro-am shali that went down in uic uh javante green showed out came back up there again who um dj stewart former fenwick and whitney young stand out um, McDonald All-American from Duke University, now playing in the G League, uh, most notably with the Stockton Kings last time I checked. He had a, a real nice showing as well. Uh, what I know you was in the field for it, Josh. What, what did you see that caught your eye? Um, had a big name popped up just yet or no? Um, when you talk about what I reported earlier as far as, um, you know, the, the likes of the Zach Levines, the likes of the DeMar DeRozans and the Io, the Sunus, um, no, they have not popped up yet. <clears throat> you still got one more week, uh, considering that this weekend is the championship rounds, and you never know who can pop up then. Um, you know, last last year, it was reported for the longest that Taylor Horton Tucker was supposed to be there. He didn't show up to the championship game. So you never know. Um, I get it. Yeah, so you just never know what could happen, especially on the last on the last go round, and especially uh, when you have a situation like Zach Levine, who just became a father, uh, literally just posted about his yeah. son uh, today uh, being born. So um, you never you never know what's going to happen. But from a big name perspective, that has so far shown up. You know, uh, especially last week, DJ Stewart was a big one. He showed out big time. He represented Chicago very well. Um, yeah, yeah, guys like Ryan Bowright, he he, he he slid through the champion UConn Easter World guy, you know, 6'3 old brother, you know, shout out to the Bowright family. Um, you know, he 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 came out and, and balled, um, balled out, you know, Dr. Javante Green came back, Malcolm Hill of the Bulls was uh Javante's teammate this go around. Um, he he was present, and when you talk about other Chicago talents, Jabari Parker was there. Uh, he's playing in a championship round and expected to be there, uh, present to play. So Chicago definitely has some names that came up. I can't even forget about Javon Freeman Liberty. You know, Bulls guy training. Who has a training camp deal with the Bulls? He was there and showed out and put out a good performance. Got a nice poster in as well. That was nasty. It was real nasty. I had to talk. I had to tell him. I saw game. that. I saw yeah. that. I saw that <laughs> in the IG feed uh, for Wilson basketball. I, I was glad to see the fellow DePaul Blue Demon um, showing out. 
and former Valpo guy as well. Um, I mean, what what has the atmosphere been like at these games? I, I haven't had a chance to get to any, and I really do want to get to the championship weekend, depending on what time the games are this Saturday. I'm going to try to definitely get out there knowing that this is the last weekend forward. What has the atmosphere been like? Because I know when it was with Nike, man, you couldn't get a seated with Whitney Young. <laughs> you had to get up in there super early when you had the likes of Andre Drummond coming in, um, Draymond Green, Ryan Boatwright was up there, the Will Bynums of the world. Like It was a household name damn near every week up there. Robert Covington, before he actually starred with the Sixers, was in the G League, he was still showing out. So, like, what, what's the what's the atmosphere been like? Atmosphere, um, it's, it's a different type of atmosphere. Um, okay. Being at Credit One, Union, Credit Union One Arena, you know, um, the main floor is always going to be packed. You're going to have the VIP slide through. You're going to have all the big stars and their people come through. So, you know, that's going to be pretty much lit. But from a fan perspective outside of that, you know, it's pretty open. Um, you know, it's not as packed. Or anything like that, but there's but people when they show up, they show out. It was like that last year as well. Last year, the first two or three uh weekends, you know, yeah, you you know, you have some people that come out, you know, but and, and you know, and people are the players and their families show out. When it came to the championship round, you got a lot more fans sh- uh, show out for that last weekend. So you might see something similar this weekend. Um, I definitely plan to be there, uh, to you know, bring some more coverage on that. But um, the biggest thing to me was this year they had more Chicago professional talent than they did in the previous year. Um, Especially when you talk about not just necessarily people from Chicago, but people that actually have Chicago ties. When you talk about Chicago Bulls, when you talk about players that used to play for the Bulls that came out Mm -hmm. and supported, like Bobby Portis, um, you know, those type of of people are showing out and getting more respect to this league. And that's a huge deal. For Dreamville Shively, considering that it's still so fairly new. Um, that's something that is, is big time for them. And, you know, I was able to talk to some of those guys. Malcolm loved uh, the fact that he was able to, you know, show support to Chicago and so what Chicago basketball really is all about. Um, same, Javante was the same way. Uh, he said he he's a community guy. And this is one of the best ways to, you know, showcase your talent and be a big a part of that community. DJ Stewart talked about how it was so cool for him to, you know, come back home and play in front of his home and pray in front of his home people and his family that showed up to the to the program since he's been away, you know, doing the G League and then at the time, you know, coming to Duke as well. He's been away from home for a long time, so for him to be able to be home for this event, it meant it meant the world to him. And um, you know, other and it was a lot. It was very similar to a lot of other talents uh, that were there. So. Dreamville is providing opportunities for not just Chicago talent to showcase their talent in front of fans in general, but more specifically the families uh, with a lot of them being, because a lot of those players came from overseas. A lot of those players, you know, um, were playing, like you said, in the G league and things of that sort. And they're not able to see their families like that. This was an opportunity for them to showcase their talent in front of their families once again. And that is something that uh, the Dreamville shy league and those athletes will always have a connection to. And that's what really stood out these past few weeks that's been happening over there, up there at uh, Credit Union One Arena. That's dope to know, and that's that's dope to hear, man. Because I I know just being in the field and having play ball with Jabari, going to his pops camps as a kid, that's a dude. Anytime he has a chance to play in front of his hometown fans, he's gonna do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everybody not built like that. I won't say no names out of respect, and I understand because it's you know it, it is a, it, it can be a flight risk. 
and we were getting it at, you know, involving one particular player who was drafted in the top five of this year's NBA draft that was in a pro-am and unfortunately had a, a recent setback um, on the West Coast. We're getting it at after this, but I, um, I, I'm glad to hear that, you know, that more local guys are playing in these pro-am events because it, it is for the community, it is for the city, and most importantly, it's for the next generation. As me, you, and Drew talked about um, last week, on running with war talking about you know the pro-am and you were talking about what was going on in week one it's always good to see a guy like bobby porter's coming back even though you know he got over the hump in milwaukee and won the championship found a role for himself in the league the fact that he still has roots here and hasn't forgotten those roots that's even doper to see and um he's always been an extra cool you know super dude you know when i see him always you know showing love and everything so that's dope to see and, and as you see the names that took part in it at the bottom, Javante Green, um, Sterling Brown, Antoine Walker is a part of that as well. I know he's he had his own team at the Shali when it was part of Nike. He has one at Dreamville as well. Um, that's that's real cool to see. But I want to move on to the pro-am that shook the world up this weekend on the West Coast, the crossover pro-am um, in Seattle. LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Aaron Gordon, Marjan Bochamp, Chet Holmgren, Paulo Boncaro, DeJounte Murray, all touched down in Seattle this weekend to play in some um, pro-am summertime basketball. The game didn't go as planned due to condensation on the floor, packed house. They had over like 1,500-plus people standing out in a line hours before the game, like the night before the game uh, on the campus of Seattle Pacific University. Uh, you know, that, that was, that was a crazy event, man. You know, prayers up to Chet Holmgren, though, who is, um, feared to have some damage, um, lick to some torn ligament damage in his ankle or his foot that he suffered there. So as a result, you know, they had to postpone that game, but what's your thoughts on that, Josh, you know, seeing all of that, man, because they shut it down, man. They had it on the NBA app and everything. And man, that, 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 it, it was so many NBA players out there, man. I, I would have thought that um, Adam Silver might have had to make a call to Jamal Crawford or something, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I would be worried about that as well if I was Adam Silver. But Adam Silver also is very cognizant of what it means and the impact that an athlete has to society, and especially in the community sure. where he comes from. So to have events like that, Adam Silver is not going to trip at all. He's going to say, just stay be safe because you got a season to play. you got to help me make some more money. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's a huge deal. Anytime you – in general – and anytime you get a big superstar in general to slide through to an event like that, it's going to be big. But the fact that it's LeBron James, that's gonna, that just takes things to a whole nother level. And you got to give a shout-out to Jamal Crawford, um, someone that I've, you know, idolized from even when I was a kid. I got to model my – I wanted to model my game after him. <laughs> uh, leading up all with my college, uh, college playing days um, because of what he – of his skills and what he brings to the table and just the fact that he's a humble dude um you know and a very respected veteran of the game you know he's of course if anyone can get lebron just to come on out it's gonna be him um so the fact that he was able to get lebron come out isaiah thomas with the seattle dude come on out he used to have zach levine come to those programs when, uh, when they were fresh uh you know in previous years and then this go around you got jason tate on the slide through DeJounte murray to slide through uh, Paulo, Ventrell, and Chet, you know, Holgram. I mean, hey, this, this program has always been respected and known in the world, but that just took things to another level. And you got to respect, you know, Jamal Crawford and those guys for that pro-am. 
I just hope that we can get LeBron James once this Dreamville stuff keeps going, once the Shy League keeps going, then then after the, the other programs like the Denar Bros uh, programs and stuff. If you can get LeBron to come to the Shy, that's a whole nother that, now that's taking things to another level too. Because you can't talk about basketball without LeBron touching one of the top three uh, meccas of, of, of hoops. And you know Chicago win there. You already touched LA. We know at one some point in time eventually he probably will touch New York. But if you can come to Chicago, bro, we can get you to come to Chicago, that's gonna be a whole nother level. Especially if you're talking about a prime, a still, you know, very seasoned and primed LeBron James going into his 20th year. If you can do this again next year, and maybe Shy League or Dreamville can get LeBron to come on out here, that's gonna be a whole nother level that I think the community will benefit from. Just like every community he's tapped into this past summer, being with the Drew League and now bringing, being in the Seattle uh, crossover program, it means a lot. So I, if he can come to Chicago, that would be like the icing on the cake when you talk about <laughs> his appearances yeah, that, in Drew Leagues. That would be. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I remember hearing some some rumors from, from some unnamed sources, seriously, like about five years ago when the Shy League was still a Nike-sponsored event, that it could have happened, but it did not. Um, and this was during the time I want to say going into his final season in Cleveland with his second tenor, which would be year four. So like it, it was some, I, I think that's one market for sure coming here. Yeah. That's something that he had to tap into down the road. Uh, New York tried to get him with that infamous blackout game that never happened to me. That, that was the game that, you know, everybody wanted to see, but I, I, I brought all this up because I want to get to something truly specific because with these pro-ams this summer being featured across the NBA app, something that the league has never done before um, with these pro-ams starting to get a lot of instant buzz that is 10 times what it was 10 years ago during the time in which the lockout took place is and you know, when I think many people found out about leagues such as the Drew league in LA, um, the Seattle crossover event. And while we knew about the, you know, the games that were going on at Rucker Park and so forth, a lot of people did not know about Pro-Ams at all. And I think some people still don't. And I think a lot of people are learning as I just recently had a conversation with somebody on Twitter about it, who was asking like, why is this a big deal? You know, LeBron showing up to these Pro-Ams, you know, what is this about? What type of game is this? Um, Do you think Josh, that, the pro-am as we know it has become gentrified because it's getting to a point where now you have reporters such as Sham Sharani at the Athletic, um, Chris Haynes reporting that such NBA All-Star, ex-NBA All-Star, Y-NBA All-Star, Z-NBA All-Star will be at this pro-am plan on this day at this time. When back when I started going to pro-ams, I don't know about you, but when I first started going to pro-ams, you had to know somebody that know somebody in order to even get that type of news. And just because you may have heard that didn't mean that they were going to show up, you know, like do have they become gentrified in a sense? Because like you had to really have like back, back when this stuff was first originating true Intel and knowledge, or know somebody that was running these pro-am teams and these leads, these local leads um, who was coming. And sometimes just because they told you, it didn't mean that they were coming. Yeah, um, I don't want to say it's gentrified per se. I was, I would say that um, 
you could just tell the difference in the times, right? Um, the okay. fact that, you know, it, it was so diff, like you said, difficult back in the earlier days when this was really becoming, when this was really a thing to figure out who specifically was going to show up in these programs versus now it's kind of like a celebrity contest um, about as far as which stars or, or which can come through and, you know, who's going to play what. Um, even with my even with my reporting, you know, I found out from sources and I found out from my sources, you know, credible sources that certain right. people were supposed to come through. You know, like you said, it's not a guarantee, you know, right. but the fact that at the end of the day, that the fact that you can get those news, get that news, yeah, like just like you said, it, you know, you got to know some people to get that intel. The, the the reality is the relationship between not just players and the leagues, but players and reporters have changed. Because those people that you've mentioned, some of them have real deep personal connections. Guys like Chris Haynes, he knows, you know, LeBron well. He knows Damian Lillard well. He knows these people to where if something big like that was going to happen, he's going to obviously be one of the first people to break it. You know, it's just one of those things where maybe not necessarily the leagues have changed per se, but the fact that the relationship between the leagues and those players and even reporters and those players as things have progressed over time, um, has took a, a bigger magnifying glass, per se, as far as getting the intel and reporting on the intel of what takes place. And, you know, leagues will use that to advantage to get the seats to be filled up in the stands. Because even back, even when you talked about early in those days, some of those, some of those programs used to be very private. Or they used to have very yeah. limited access, very limited access and seating. Nowadays, leagues like Shot League, Tickets are free. You just reserve them. You know, like it's just it's it's a different time about how they promote the game and promote the leagues. So I think it's, I don't want to say it's been gentrified per se, but I will say that, that you can see there's a dis a, a total difference and disparity over time with how things are being handled compared to previous programs and previous years. Only reason why I pose that question specifically is because when the crossover program went down. I heard through Twitter and, you know, reading a lot of tweets that you had certain people who were a part of an exclusive crowd able to get access to the event, which was restricting some of the people in the community, such as children, you know, and the next generation of fans from being able to get in the building. And that's why I asked that, because I do remember a time where when you went to the Pro-Am, it wasn't always about sitting in the front yeah. row. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I was asking, like, has it become gentrified? Because it's like now, sometimes in order to just get in the pro-am, depending on the crowd size, you really got to know somebody just to even squeeze in there. Yes, it is a free event in most cases. In most cases, it varies. You know, you have some pro-ams that they might charge you five here, you know, two mm -hmm. here, you know, if they, if they a community event type of program and there's no major sponsorship behind or whatever but even the ones that are being um ran open to the public and for free you know when you hear stuff like that you just kind of i can't help but ask it because i just remember a time when unless if you was like a true follower of basketball and i know me and you are but like most people like five years ago Unless they really was in hoop circles, they wouldn't have known what a pro am was. Now we're getting into a lot of we, 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 now we're getting into an age where or, or a time period where 
you you see a lot of debates happening about it. And you have mm-hmm. some people saying, well, oh, well, these guys shouldn't even be playing out here. Or they're playing against, you know, amateurs. Some people don't even know. Like, even though it's a pro-am, like, you got former pros. You have college guys. You have high school guys. Like, how you going to work on your game? A lot of people, I just that's why I asked, has it become gentrified? Because yeah. I don't think a lot of people really know um, how sacred these events are in the basketball community, in the basketball world. No, that's, those are all very good points. I mean, as a matter of fact, pro on days, you got to be invited just to even play or show up. Because Exactly. I'm glad football, you brought that up. Because, you know, it, it's not like just anybody can get on the court. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's not like just, you know, it's not like it's an open gym. You know, right. it's a more professional type of run where you're playing against the best of the best in that local community, um, which is something. And, and we can't ignore the fact of what the true purpose of a program is. It is a community event, which means it is open to the public that doesn't that's not always able to have access to see these professional players in one setting, whether they're in the NBA, whether they're overseas, whether they're in the G League. You know, you're not going to get all these stars at one time. It's not like if you talk just using Dreamville, Shiley Pro as an example. You're not going to get all those guys at the same court and have it and expect children to have the opportunity to pay a certain amount of dollars to go to the United Center and watch them play when the Bulls are playing. It's not a guarantee. So when you host an event like that, you're opening up the opportunity for a community, for, the, for not just community people to go, but young, like you said, young kids, generations of children that want to and aspire to be these players, especially talking about coming from the city that they come from, to see them succeed and play on this type of level. That's something that athletes yearn for. They yearn to give back to the community and yearn to give back to that next generation. And to be able to do it in that type of setting, that is creating a community platform for you to not just connect with community and fans, but how to represent the city as a whole. That's something that is sacred. That is something that is a big deal. Um, it just becomes more magnified when you get other stars from different areas to come in and support that movement. And that's when the problem exemplifies itself when from people that don't understand the, the importance of a program when they have problems with LeBron James coming to the Drew League after some time and performing the way that he did. Or having guys like LeBron go to the cross or go across or you know Seattle crossover program, they when you don't understand those things, you judge them for their talent and why they're displaying their talent instead of judging them or st- instead of judging them or understanding the meaning behind or the purpose behind them making the decision to per- to perform these programs. Which, like we said before, you have to be invited to participate in. You can't just show up. So it's not just them playing against anybody. You're playing you're playing against the best of the best. Especially in that one area, in that one set. That's well said, Josh. Got my man Torrin Stagger on, man. How you feeling? I'm feeling great, man. How y'all doing today? Doing good, real bro. good, man. We talking about this pro-am league, you know, across the country with the NBA, you know, putting these games such as the Drew League, the crossover pro-am, all on the NBA app, streaming them now. And I remember yeah. a time, you know, me and Torrin, me, you know, like we, we've been talking about basketball for years and, um, you know, behind back channels and even on some front channels, you know, with Radio DePaul and stuff back when I was in college. Um, 
has it has these have these pro am events become gentrified to you? Me and Josh, you know, we're engaged in a discussion about it, but I want to get your thoughts on it. You know, I know we don't have some talks behind private channels, but I want you to share your thoughts publicly on. Oh yeah, I, I, I was following along with y'all conversation. I would say that the pro ams they're not being gentrified by players per se, but right. And I would say the companies, the shoe companies, especially Nike. A lot about the Drew League around 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. And that's when, like, Nike's. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is marketing. You sent Kobe through there one weekend. And you sent a LeBron James, both Nike representatives. So yeah, it's being gentrified because it's now looked at as a part of the NBA calendar. Like you said, the purity of it. From back in the day, where these were just pretty much Oregon pro players and college players, now you got guys who really culture like keeping stats. Like I saw someone keeping stats uh, from the cross. That's that's far, far that's far from summer basketball. It's keeping stats, you know, somebody yeah. might keep track of how many points they had because like yeah, I was out there killing tonight but just and talking about threes and what a guy was and wasn't doing i mean you're like playing in the games like the trey young john collins i got I think they lost the game i believe a program yeah, and that was getting reported like oh these guys lost no it was straight up lebron and it's not what it's about it's basketball like getting your work in Connecting with the community. You know, a lot of guys, they grew up with each other, NBA, but guys in that culture, they respect each other's game. So they understand that it's not always talent as to why a guy's not in the NBA. It's a multitude of reasons. I mean, we got to be careful. You know, we, the NBA has summer league. You know, if guys want to go nerd out, you know, go, go to those places. But Drew Lee, Crossover, Shiley, Rucker. I see a lot more cities starting to open up their summer leagues. Got to keep – We got as far as guys like LeBron showing up, I still look at that as marketing. Everybody on Instagram, it puts a little spotlight on that. Like, yeah, I'm showing up to this city this weekend to play. From that standpoint, the players have a bit to do with the gentrification, but, but I still think that the privacy of the game because like Rico Hines uh runs I mean to like broadcast those at this point because those are where the big, big games are like seeing Chris Brickley in New York those seem, mm-hmm. seem to be like where the real games are right now a wall being put up in some regards um by the players but like I said gentrification companies media and that's why I brought that up, because like I said, it was a time where unless if you was like an urban media outlet, you know, that was exclusively covering stuff in the community, like you couldn't really get into those events. And now you seeing it become segmented. Um, and, and I and I do agree. And we and we do know with these brands um, that they they are well known for, like, bringing guys out like Drew League now sponsored by Adidas, even though Trey Young did hit up the Drew before, you know, became an Adidas sponsored event. 
you know, him and John Collins came out there together, both of Adidas guys, that you do have to connect those dots a lot of times. And I don't think a lot of people typically always know about that. And that is something to think about. Um, and that's why I want to bring you on, Torrance, to talk about this. But moving on from the Pro-Am debate to the biggest news of the week and the, the biggest news of the summer is, the you know, the guy alone single-handedly shut down the NBA free agency market, Kevin Durant, according to Sham Sarani at Athletic. He met up with Sean Marks, next GM, next coach Steve Nash, and next owner Joe Sy, um, alongside of his business partner Rich Kleiman, to basically talk shop at, at, in Los Angeles, and they have agreed to remain in partnership, as he said it, um, to <laughs> to stay in Brooklyn. And Kevin Durant begins, you know, the first year of his four-year um, max extension contract this um, this upcoming season. I'm going to kick it off with you, Josh, and then I'm going to let Torrance speak on it. What's your, what's your initial thoughts, um, starting with you, Josh, on, on the news? You know, we, we came into the show this week thinking we was going to be talking about is Memphis the best landing spot for him after the news that dropped on Monday, you know, that Shams reported. But now, as we know, he's staying put. Um, It's like a roller coaster relationship. It's a lot of ups and downs, zigzags. Someone's emotional, someone's too emotional, all this back and forth until you eventually realize you need each other. Like, that's pretty much what I feel like I just dealt with with this whole KD Brooklyn Nets saga. He wasn't going nowhere because if you knew that he wanted to leave, if he, or if he knew he had these issues beforehand, he would not have signed that contract extension. He would have given the opportunity to leave after this past year. Okay, so he wasn't going anywhere. I knew he wasn't going to go anywhere, especially when we're talking about what that trade that Rudy Gobert got to the Timberwolves and what that asking price was for. That messed up the whole game in general for Kevin Durant. We're talking about being a top, with him being a top two, three player in the, in the league. That wasn't that messed that up for him to go anywhere in general. But all this was was for Kevin Durant to let it be known at the end of the day, yeah, the organization runs the show, but guess what? We still have an input on this thing too. He's just he's just expressing his frustration about how upset he is. You didn't sign, you I signed it this contract knowing that you're supposed to sign my guy Kyrie long term didn't happen. You I had relationships on the on the Nets coaching staff that you got rid of without telling me or letting me know full warning and giving me input on who to replace that. That's an issue. And now you know I have question marks even though Steve Nash came in the same time I did. I had a relationship back in Golden State, but reportedly he wasn't the guy that I wanted on the team. It was Ty Lue. You didn't want to get him. You brought Steve Nash in. And you now we realize he's a flawed coach because he doesn't know how to coach offense. What he's, he's letting his frustrations know, you know, to everybody on that on that on that in that call saying, yo, I have issues with y'all. I don't think it was necessarily to say that he wanted out because if he wanted out, he wouldn't have signed that extension. But I do think he was expressing his power by saying, yo, I am the main reason why you're relevant right now. Kyrie is one of the main reasons why you're rolling for right now. And we even got to the playoffs. So, therefore, don't just think this is a one, this is, this is just a y'all little, y'all little group thing. Y'all got your own little thing going on, and that's it. No, no, no. We in this boat, too. So, give us that respect where it's due. And I think they had to realize, okay, fair enough. You got a point. We'll just come back together and move this thing moving forward. But I think it was just, it was just, it was just a struggle of power. And KD wanted to enforce his power which obviously he did a very good job in considering he shut down for agency for a whole month or two. But at the end of the day, 
you know, I don't think he really wanted to go anywhere. I think he wanted to stay. And he just wanted them to know that, like, yo, I'm serious behind what I say. So I, I think that's what really just would have boiled down to. I got to give you credit on this one, Torrance, because I know we talked about it in July. And you you said you you called it, you know, in a, in a conversation that me and you had together. You was like, I don't see him going anywhere. You know, and we, we talked about a couple of teams. You know, we talked about Toronto. But then, you know, the, the, of course, in order for that to happen, we know that Brooklyn would have wanted Scotty Barnes. And, you know, was that a piece that Masai was going to be willing to part ways with, knowing that he got a reigning rookie of the year? who has a bright future, you know, I, I don't think anybody saw that. And evidently it didn't happen. Um, what's, what's your thoughts, you know, now knowing officially the aftermath for KD's decision and, you know, deciding to stay in Brooklyn? Man, honestly, KD, man, uh, he's a master NBA troll. I mean, he's been dominating. The, I mean, Not, nothing he did at once. You want if you wanted Steve Nash gone, you would have said it at the beginning of the summer. That would have been jump. Nobody's hiring coaches at the moment. You know that. So why even put out a report that late? That there had to be a meeting of the minds at some point. Obviously, some promises seem to because KD signed his extension early. Yeah, he he signed that extension. I definitely thought it was gonna be him first. Kyrie James, because uh, yeah, he signed his extension, and you know it would have been smart. You know, let's all three lock in together. Uh, things were happening uh, uh, either with the coach, just that really was like like a lack of communication, top to bottom in the organization. So that, but as far as a trade, I never completely like bought a trade. You got four years left on four at, at the age thirty four too, and coming off one of your like early. So, I mean, playoffs are how you define. You at that age, at the losing in round one. I mean, there's gonna be questions on your like long term future. Still in your prime. Uh, I don't I don't believe he was like willing to risk that unless the city. and as far as the trade go there. There wasn't a great trade out there for him. Uh, all across, all across the board, you got Golden State. Maybe I mean that's a circus in itself. Miami, you'd have to give up too much. Too small. No trust in that organization. They don't have great history. So, I mean, him honestly wanting to leave Brooklyn. I, if anything, he put a target on Sean Marks now. Going into the season, mm. and how I mean, so? It's clear. In your opinion, I mean, it's clear. We all we all watched the playoffs. I mean, we didn't necessarily blame Kevin Loss. We blame personnel and the lack of uh, coaching. Then Steve Nash, like simple. You know, um, I mean, he's like gone a long, long time based on the Nets' reach. Build, he's like earned a reputation to win a championship that calls for different like decisions to be made. And they've won in the past. Steve Nash hasn't won a championship, Sean Marks hasn't won a championship. I believe he did with the Spurs, 
but not with the Nets. Targets on their back. I mean, we get a, another first or a second round exit. I mean, clearly Kevin Durant's not getting uh, Kyrie's on the one-year deal. So there are going to be changes. It's going to be made at those two spots. And Ben Simmons. <laughs> Somebody yeah. has to handle the Ben Simmons situation. You, you trade James for a guy who's not playing. That's a Sean Mark. You said that's the sound marks. What I, you kind of faded out on that? Problem. How to use utilize these three guys? That's going to be a Steve Nash problem. Like the Bulls are. I get what you're saying. I the, the way I the way I see it. I I, I just I, I just really wonder what was he trying to accomplish? You know, you're a top five player in the league. If if, if you know you got Steve. Of course, of course, it's, it's a tension, but, but, but one thing we know about Kevin Durant, his game, his game is gonna command attention alone when he step on the floor. And we we know we know who Kevin Durant is on the social media, you know, going back and forth with, with the trolls and stuff like that. But this man, when he made that trade request, in a lot of ways, he shut down a lot of league business. And even Patrick Beverly, a guy who I don't always agree with on some things, made a good point. He kind of impacted some other folks' money. But is that a Kevin Durant problem? Or is that an NBA media that created this big circus around him? And he hasn't actually publicly said anything. No, he didn't. And that and that's what always gave me pause to concern, because with all this reporting. Typically, when a player demands a trade, yeah, you're going to hear something about it. You never did really hear much from him. All you heard was reports from Shams and, and, and so forth and other reporters. But with all of that being said, is we now know that Kevin Durant is going to stay in Brooklyn. We now know that Kyrie Irving is going to be there. We know that Ben Simmons, if you know, as he should be healthy after sitting out, you know, the, the whole season last year, um, we know that Ben Simmons will be in the fold. What this team is currently constructed, um, they added T.J. Warren. They they added Seth Curry as part of the James Harden trade. Um, Joe Harris would be back healthy um, after, you know, going through his knee issues and so forth. Is this a team, we know it's a playoff team on paper, but where do they finish in the East? Are they? I think they're a top five team in the East, but are they a top three team in the East? Shoot, I mean, uh, it, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on if they can stay healthy. It depends on what type of Ben Simmons you get. It depends on how Steve Nash can make this offense work. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a lot yeah. of question marks uh, regarding that. I think if you if everything goes smoothly, yeah, you're talking about a top three, top three team in the Eastern Conference. You might be talking top two, but when you talk about the question marks behind all of this, not just from Kevin Durant and his lack of trust in the front office, how they're going to handle that spilling over and going into the training camp. You also dealing with Kyrie. Kyrie got something to prove. He got one year on his deal. Um, you know, Joe Harris got something to prove because he's still coming off an injury. We don't know what type of uh, person Joe Harris is going to be outside uh, from that perspective. Ben Simmons hasn't played in over a year and a half. What are we going to get from him? You know, he just got been, uh, reportedly just got cleared to play three-on-three basketball. What are we going to get from him? 
Is he actually going to improve on his jump shot? Um, you know, is he actually going to be more of a, at least of a threat offensively? Like, you, you don't know what you're going to get from these guys. Um, and your only guaranteed uh, answers right now, I mean, you even, even you can talk about T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren hasn't played all year last year because of his foot injury. What Are, are you going to get an average T.J. Warren? Are you going to get the bubble T.J. Warren? Like, which T.J. Warren are you going to get? So you, you it, there's too many question marks behind all those pieces that the Brooklyn Nets have together, even though, like you said, talent-wise and paper-wise, they show enough show as the top three team in the Eastern Conference. But when you talk about putting it all together, we don't know the answer to that until probably right after All-Star break because it's going to take a while for this team to fully gel, build the chemistry. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to take Steve Nash at least another half a year, even another year to figure out what his coaching going to be like with these guys because you clearly saw last year, even in the playoffs, it was a disaster. So how do you handle the, how do you handle that transition this year? It's a lot of question marks. To, uh, honestly, it's a lot of question marks to determine that right now. And I just got to give a personal shout out real quick to my guy, Brandon Scooby Robinson. He's been on this from the jump. He told us what the deal was. He told us about how Kevin Durant, is, you know, they, him and Kyrie are trying to play chess, not checkers. And, and what that looks like was leading up to what we just saw as with the, at the end of the whole roller coaster. No one was trying to go anywhere. No one was trying to get out of Brooklyn. It was just players trying to get power control with the front office. And mm. that's pretty much how it went. So we gotta, I got to give my guy, Scooby Robinson, props for, for, for his reportage on all this stuff, especially everything Kyrie and everything Brooklyn Nets, which we know he's very connected and plugged in with. So I got to give him a shout-out for that, for his reporting on that. Um, but when, to answer your question, man, we – too many question marks. I can't even give you an answer. My my answer right now is, is having some popcorn and watching the show because I gotta see how this I gotta see how this thing plays out. I respect it. I respect it. What about you, Torn? Second round exit. I know because second round like, exit, but yeah. I, I get that. But like I'm, I'm just trying to see on paper where they stack up in the E because because we know the E's gonna be tough. It, I ain't saying I ain't saying they got no gravy train ride to the finals. See, I have to agree. Like, there's us. Steve Nash is still the coach. You know, like, you still have Kyrie making a statement from the day Steve Nash was hired. We don't actually need. And then on the following, then the following year, years later, Kevin Durant basically saying, hey, we should fire this guy. And you have a new end to the organization. Milwaukee has continuity. They've been together. Uh, even Philly. I mean, Philly there. Between Maury and Harden, and then you got Joel and B. Like, there is a pecking order. Seems to understand what's going on. Can't say the same thing. And honestly, and then everybody's quick to say Kyrie's going to have an amazing year because of the one-year deal. Sure, if Kyrie's not going to prioritize health like this this season. I don't know, you know, full onslaught Kyrie. I mean, well, it was reported that one of the things he wanted in his car 60 games. He's had knee troubles his pretty much his whole career. Like, I always thought those games would 
benefit them long term if they could have maintained the health of everyone else, his knees, and be prepared for playoffs when he's most effective and like most dangerous. Your deal, I mean, yeah, I I, I can see him incentivizing his health. So it's gonna be a very rough year for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, it, this this is a team I definitely am going to be interested in following because the, the off-season storylines going into training camp, going into training camp is going to be a lot of talk for sure about Ben Simmons, whether or not he's going to be ready. And to me, he's really the biggest Everything. wild card in all of it. He's the biggest X factor. Yeah. If you, you get defensive player to your candidate, Ben Simmons, and he's allowed to push the ball in the breaking card, I mean, I can see I turning them, but like I said, I mean, Steve Nash. I mean, that is a big question mark. It's the other coaches in the East. Yeah. I got a lot of questions about Steve Nash, too. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I definitely had it through the first two games of the first round, and after they got swept, I had even more. Because, and uh, Sean Mark. I, I still need answers. Like you said, yeah, TJ Warren, yeah. and he's coming off an injury. Somebody's calling for your job, and you go sign a guy who hasn't played basketball for a year. How do you convince Kevin Durant that like we're we're pursuing the championship? And you still got some needs to address, you know, because you, you you're thin in the front court at the five spot. Um, you know, Nick Claxton is going more than likely be penciled in as the starting center, even though you still got some centers on the board. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But I, I do agree that Ben Simmons is the biggest wild card in all of this. Yeah, does he need to shoot more threes going forward in his career at some point to keep defenses honest? Yes, he will. But on this roster with all the shooters he has, all he really got to do is just defend one through five and basically, you know, ignite the break and run the show because he's going to have shooters to get it to when they running and gunning. But the question is, is can they be healthy? Um, but I I'm, I agree with you guys. I have questions about Steve Nash myself. Um I still can't forgive him for not even trying to go to a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge in that Celtic series who had some success against them in the regular season. It was putting up like vintage LaMarcus Aldridge numbers against them in victory. So, and Blake Griffin included, and he didn't even go to Blake until super late in limited minutes. So I, I do agree. So, you know, I don't always like his rotations and he definitely has a lot of questions that need to be answered. That's for damn sure. Yeah, Two-time MVP. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I know what you mean when you say that one. But I but I want to move on to, you know, we talked about how the Nets are thin in the front court. It's still a lot of household names on the market, not names that are former All-Stars and some guys on the fringe level, but a lot of these guys can still help a team at this point in their career. And I just want to throw out some names, man, um, among the free agent class, starting with um, DeMarcus Cousins. This is a guy, you know, who started the year in Milwaukee, um, had some success, but they weren't willing to, you know, sign him to uh, a rest of the season long contract. It was during like the COVID protocol and guys needed extra players. So he ended up having some success in Denver under his former head coach of Sacramento, Mike Malone. Um, we know in his prime, he's an all-star, had that, you know, cut short the Achilles injuries and many other injuries of the like, torn ACL. Um, what would be the best fit? And you all's mind for the, a guy like Demarcus Cousins, a guy who I'm pretty sure, even though he won a ring with the Lakers, in which he wasn't able to play, 
I'm pretty sure he wants to get back to that final stage again. Run it back. You saw, uh, to me, run it back with Denver, man. You know, Denver's, this year's Denver's team is going to be completely different from last year's Denver team. You got Jamal Murray coming back fully healthy. You got Michael Porter Jr. coming back fully healthy. That tied with Aaron Gordon, you that's a, and, 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 and Nikola Jokic is your MVP. That's that's tough to deal with. And knowing that DeMarcus Cousins doesn't have to force a lot, but he was a force in that second unit last year, um, even even when they were playing the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. He was a huge boost for them. Um, his, his days of being a starter or a starting caliber player are done. And, I'm for, and the role that he could bring to the table is mainly from the bench. He'll be a great pickup to go behind uh, from a center perspective with uh, with Jokic. He did. He had success under them. They got a whole other team is coming back stronger next year. I don't see why you can't go grow with them and see yourself as another potential top four or five team in the Western Conference and maybe have a chance to go in the deep in the playoffs. I mean, that's especially when you already have success there and you have familiarity with the system already. I think that's just the, one of the best places you can go back to. Before I share my thoughts, I'm gonna pass it to Torrance. What, what you think about Boogie, man, and his um his best fit? I, I, I said to you, I totally agree. Like Denver makes the most sense uh, from the system, being uh, Mike Malone, and I mean like most, most of the other contenders, they have like a chance, and that's where Boogie's like lost his spot at, I believe, in the league, pick and roll defense, like like pretty much much throughout his career and being older after the end. Um, it's not going to get a lot of playing time in bigger games, like deep into the playoffs but in Denver. I'd say you try to stick it out, out there, try to ride that out towards the end. I, I never thought about Denver probably being the best fit because that was his current situation, but he did play well there. And he did thrive well there. Um, one team that has kind of caught my eye, that I do think Boogie could fit well with um, if he were to leave Denver is Phoenix. Just for the simple fact that Phoenix is going to need a backup big man uh, with JaVale McGee leaving Phoenix to go to Dallas. Um, they, they, they like we, we know when Phoenix got to the finals two years ago, that was their Achilles heel was not having a backup big. And now with JaVale out, they're going to have to find somebody on that market. And I feel like he fits. And if he's trying to compete with an upper echelon Western Conference team, that might be the, the ideal spot. But I wouldn't mind Denver because Denver is a wild card. And, you know, maybe if Michael Porter Jr. can stay healthy and Jamal Murray can stay healthy, yeah, they could they could be back up in the West, you know, and, and make a run for it. But moving on um, to the next free agent, who's a big man as well, Hassan Whiteside. You know, this is a guy who was in Utah last year, and now, you know, he doesn't have a home. Where where you think he might fit? Start with you, Tor. Um, Hassan Whiteside. Um, yeah, he. I catch buyout market. Um, same with him. I mean, he never quite seems to like truly. I'm not I've never been a big fan of like his game personally mm -hmm. 
like they always they're kind of like Andre Drummond a little bit. Like you think, think that you're gonna get those going to end up being a little bit empty to a certain extent. Um, yeah, yeah, White Tide. Honestly, I wouldn't pick him up personally. You wouldn't pick him up, but I mean, what what, what would his fit be? I mean, what it, it's it, it's somebody gonna pick him up. I mean, I I got questions about. I mean, somebody's too. gonna. I, I I gotta pass this one off. I don't really. Like, <laughs> All right, Josh. What, what you think? What what her sound white side best fit in, man? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, whew. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a very good. That's a, Tell you I know time is up. Myself. I got a couple spots. Well, I'm interested to see what your spots are, Gabe. I really am because I'm sitting here going blank in the mug right now. I don't know what. I don't know who would want to pick this dude up. Like, <laughs> I, I, I understand. I, I understand because he's he's a guy. While you know he could be a nice presence in the pick and roll, and he can protect the rim for you a little bit. When he gets isolated in the playoffs by them guards, you know, it's over with. You know, and, and he can he can't get in foul trouble. But it's gonna be a team out here that's gonna need a big man. I think it's the team that we talked about. I think it's Brooklyn. You know, because they they gonna need a veteran big man. Andre Drummond's gone. Um. You know, Blake hasn't re-signed there yet. And uh, unless they're going to get a guy like Dwight Howard in the mix, I mean, I feel like that's probably going to be his perfect spot um, if he's trying to compete, you know, and at least get into a playoff scenario. Um, he, You know, the days of, of getting $20 million a year is over with for him. But, I mean, I think he'll get an opportunity. That's a, that, that's a good spot. Um, I, could, I could see Brooklyn playing a role in that. I think for me, too, though, it's it's going to be hard for him considering at least with Boogie, you know, you can have offense and defense. He may not be the best defender, but he makes up for what he brings to the table offensively. Hassan Whiteside has no offense. He has no offense. <laughs> and he's a straight defense, and the defense is already, like, depending on what it is, very subpar. So I don't know if someone is going to be willing to take even that much of a bargain on him from a attending team perspective. You know, I, I, if you're talking about just getting back to the swing of things, I wouldn't even try to if he goes back to Utah. Just because Gobert is not there anymore, he has a more of a bigger opportunity for him to, you know, play more, get more minutes in that slot. And, you know, obviously it seems like the writing's on the wall for Donovan Mitchell to go. But let's just say he doesn't go anywhere. You know, you still get to play with the Donovan Mitchell, who at least can keep your keep your team. If not, you know, even though they were, you know, even though they were a top three team in the Western Conference, I think they'll still be a a playing tournament team. Uh, so, you know, I think Utah might even not might not be a bad look for him to go back to as well, depending on how how that works out. That would be a gamble, a bet on himself type of move for real, for real. I mean, because I, I I could see that. And in, in Utah, I think they really I really think they put Nate sweepstakes in um for Wimbanaya out of France. I think they want that big. I think I think Utah and the Spurs are like in an arms race to try and get him. And because I don't think Utah is done, especially with the reports about Donovan and, and the Knicks being interested. And we know, you know, the Knicks sent the contingency down to Dallas during the playoffs just to watch that man play. You know, you want to mm-hmm. talk about some some tampering, if you will. Like, I, I, I don't know what that was about. But moving on to another player in the NBA free agent fits, you know, segment of the show, um, Montrez Harold. 
You know, this is a guy who started out in Washington to start the year. Then, you know, got traded to um, Charlotte, who was looking for some help at the big man position because they were thin at the five. Didn't really fit there at all. Um, and a guy who, you know, was once a six-man of the year award winner with the Clippers, he's kind of fell on tough times since, you know, it didn't work out for him in L.A. And he got traded and didn't really – fell out of Frank Vogel's rotation if we're going to keep it a buck uh, two years ago um, in the playoffs in that first-round loss to the Suns. Where y'all think he fit? Once again, another guy who time is ticking, man. Playing with contenders, playing with contenders, it, it, it's tough because everyone's while on full display, and you also and you also kind of age out of teams, especially based on your reputation of like professionalism and Montrez. You know, had a few instances along the way, like with different teams, calling out coaches, getting into a, a teammate, undersized big as well. I don't really, off the top of my head, I don't really see a team again. Like I, in the league, like the Clippers and Golden State, they're going to be running five out lineups when they don't have a big in there. Guys that can shoot. It's not doesn't fit Montrez's game. So it's gonna to be tough to like honestly see him like on a good a good injury replacement this season, honestly. There's actual there's an actual team that I think he it could be a chance for his redemption. Now I'm going with the Brooklyn Nets. Um just because mm-hmm. with the Brooklyn Nets, you already talked about how they're thin in the five spot, but what they also lack as people coming off the bench to fill that spot of the role. You got Montrezl, even though he's undersized, sixth man of the year, he understands his role as being a sixth man. He knows what it means to come in and bang with the second unit. And on top of all of that, you talk, you know, obviously uh, you talked about how teams like the Golden State Warriors and the Clippers are going to be playing five-man out. That is very true. But at the same time, the Nets necessarily have to play that type of game offensively. They, they, he's just good for the defensive realm, and he can guard perimeter players. So if he can guard perimeter players, I would trust him being my five or my four in a small unit basketball, which they already probably going to do with Brooklyn, and he may not even have to worry about too much because you got KD probably going to be playing the four. So I, it's, I, I think it's something that even though it's not ideal, you know, any team he goes to is not going to be ideal. But to give him a chance – I think Brooklyn Nets is one team, especially if they swing out on the guys like Dwight Howard and all. And you know, it's been reported that Dwight Howard is interested. It's been reported that Marquise Morris is now interested. You know, if if they swing out on those guys, I don't think that's a bad plan B or C <laughs> option, depending on how you go about it, to replace some of that what they're going to be missing out. on. And they can buy low on him. And they kind of – and at the power forward, they got some injury-prone guys too, you know, with Ben, with ben Simmons and T.J. Warren. They, they definitely going to need some some depth in that front court besides KD. I can see both the Celtics as well, Tice as well, like during the season. So, I'm glad, uh, during the offseason, off I can see him, like, filling in. And as, he can use, the, like, the toughness. Boston can still use the toughness. Yeah, that, that's a good point because I, I I had a lot of questions about them 
in the finals. They they kind of got exposed a few times. I thought they were the most talented team in the in the pack, among, like among the final four teams that was in, standing in the conference final round. But that that wouldn't be a bad fit as well. But I want to get to like the the guards now, um, starting with Dennis Schroeder. You know, a guy who got was with the Celtics, was part of that Thice trade. Got shipped off to Houston. I don't think he was really too fond of that, you know, to go from being on a team where you was on in the playoffs, such as OKC, um, the Lakers, you know, it didn't work out there towards the end. It started off great. Like, this is a guy who still has a market. You know, it might not be what it once was two years ago, but he's a guard that can help some teams. Mr. Fumble the Bag. Mr. Fumble the Bag. Um, he did that, man. too. <laughs> Man, um, why not? Why not go back to the team you fumble the bag with and revive yourself? Um, I'm definitely down with him going back to the Lakers because he's going to be on a cheaper price. They desperately need point guard help, um, especially with Russell Westbrook uh, potentially being on the bench. Like, I'm not saying Russell Westbrook is going to get benched, but Darvin Ham has come off in his press conferences and in, in his interviews as a guy that is not afraid to put the and not play he's not afraid to discipline those stars and with Russell Westbrook if he ain't playing right in the third or fourth quarters or down the stretches when necessary having a backup option like Dennis Schroeder which we know at one point in time was in the same six-man category as Montrez Harrell um he has the potential know what it means to come off that bench and give a spark when necessary he did it you know with LKC with Chris Paul that, that led that team to the playoffs um, in the bubble. And he, he's done it for other uh, other countless teams. Why not run it back with LA, revive your, revive your value, do well under that system, and present yourself and put yourself back in the market? You may not get as big of a bag as you could have got, but you could have got, you can get a better bag than a veteran minimum. So I, I, don't, I, I, I would not mind seeing that happening in LA. The Phoenix Suns playing with. Chris Paul already in OKC, so playing with him, playing behind him, uh, off the ball, on the ball, and he's an upgrade over Cameron Payne, which they definitely upgrade, especially in the postseason as Chris continues to fade year after year. The Phoenix Suns would be the obvious choice for any backup point. I, I like that Dennis Schroeder move to Phoenix. I definitely think they could use an upgraded backup point guard position. Somebody spot Chris in situations, um, not just throughout the season, but even sometimes in the playoffs. You're going to need those guys. And I, I would trust Dennis Schroeder way more than campaign, a guy who has had way too many, like, hot and cold stretches. And I think after, you know, falling out the rotation um, pretty much last year in that, in that Dallas series, yeah, James Jones, I could see him trying to make an upgrade to backup point guard slot for sure. And I think Dennis could find a nice home for himself down in the desert. And I want to move to the biggest guy who's still on the board, man, Colin Sexton. I I mean, I I, I don't think Cleveland is, is going to be the place for him. I think they've made a decision that they want to move on with Darius Garland. But this is a guy who is capable of – being a, 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 a solid point guard, a combo guard on your team night in and night out, you know, it's all about fit and situation. There's been some reports out there that 
Dallas is inquiring about him, and that would be a very interesting um, move if they were able to get him and possibly use him in like a six-man Lou Williams type of role where he would be able to bet on himself and win. I, I don't know if that's going to be um, where he ends up, but where do you guys see it? His mark is tricky. It's tricky. It's, 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 he doesn't have a specific niche. That's what doesn't separate him from all the other guards. It's why Darius Garland took over the job. Because they tried to make, because Cleveland tried to make it like the West, the Eastern Conference, Portland Trailblazers, right? You had David yep. Miller there. You had C.J. McCollum there. They thought, you know, Colin can be sort of like your dame. You got Darius Garland being your C.J. And then and Darius Garland grew up as like, no, 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 I'm both in one. So you don't need him. That's what that, that, that was the problem that got Colin Sexton out of there. And it doesn't hurt that he's also coming off a t- off, off of a knee injury that ended his, his ended, ended the season last year, and you don't know how fully healthy he is. So he has that against him. My safest bet for him, sign a one-year deal and go to Dallas. One-year deal, mm-hmm. go to Dallas, play backup point guard, Show that you can be a backdoor backdoor product and find your niche. Once you find that niche, which to me, for Colin is not offense. It's being a bulldog defensive defensive guard, being that bulldog on the perimeter. You can guard the best player. You can guard the point guard. Full court pressure, like that's what his niche is. That's what makes Colin Sexton so valuable. The you can argue that one of the reasons why. Dallas didn't make it that far. It's because of the lack of that. You would use that against a Steph Curry. You would use that against a Klay Thompson. You didn't have that. You bring that in the picture now. Yeah, he's not going to be obligated or expected to score 15 to 20 points a game. But if you can guarantee him in a backcourt with Spencer Dinwiddie or even a Luka where he doesn't have, they don't have to guard the best players, it's all him. Now, and you got a healthy Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back as well who is known to be yeah. a very good perimeter defender, that just increases Dallas's chances. Jason Kidd is an offensive-minded coach. Big on defense, but he's an offensive-minded coach. Colin says he can help fill in that, that, that defensive guard a lot a lot, a lot better than pro, probably what Jalen Brunson was giving you at that time. I agree with that because one thing I know about Colin, just dating back to watching him a little bit towards the tail in his high school career in Alabama, that's why he became such a top-ranked player on the high school circuit was his ability to defend. And he wasn't afraid to, you know, check guys. Um, but his offensive game has improved year in and year out. I think the torn meniscus injury definitely hampered his market. Um, if he'd have had a big year in Cleveland, he could have been cashing in on a big payday. And I think another thing that makes it tough for him is being a restricted free agent. You know, um, not really having that opportunity, you know, to, to really test the market out fully and waiting to see if Cleveland's going to give them an offer or not is evident right now that they're not doing that at all. They're seeking to go in a different direction, just looking at their draft picks. You know, like they prefer – they went and got uh, Abachi out of Kansas in the draft. He's a guy that could play perfectly off of the ball next to Darius Garland. So I, I don't see where he fits in the mix in Cleveland. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Dallas. Another place I wouldn't mind seeing him is Washington, actually. If they could do it, you know, you put him up there with Bradley Bill and Chris Porzingis. One thing we know about the Wizards, 
you know, they may not be um, one of the top teams in the East, but they definitely going to do whatever they can to get some playoff money over there. <laughs> and that's, see, that's the problem with us. Like you bought, you guys brought up great points. He needs to find a niche, but he's not looking. And that that's going to be cause for like pause from like a lot of teams. He's looking for, and you don't really need him to do a $20 million a year job because that includes, like you guys said, defensively, bringing the intensity, playing off the ball. Situation a, a little complicated, I'd say. Yeah, it, it's very complicated. His, his market is, is really complicated, man. And it's like, it, it's hard to figure out. What you, what you say, Torrance? I didn't hear you. That he's paying so somehow. Yeah, I mean, but I I want to I want to move on from the from the free agency fits. And the last segment I want to close out with is um Giannis. You know, we we haven't gotten into no, like a lot of bulls talk on this show, but I close out the last ten minutes with it. Giannis recently was um asked by Luke Canellis of Fox Thirty Two Chicago about how open he would be to like the possibility of playing with the Bulls. And while most guys would have probably shut that down, Giannis, you know, talked about how he would be open to possibly considering, you know, playing with the Bulls someday. I didn't make much of it. Um, and I know we talked about it in our back channels, Josh. What uh, what was y'all thoughts on Giannis's remarks, man, um, in regards to saying he would be open to playing here? I mean, I think everybody knows that, you know, by now, you know, the allure of the six banners at the United Center and stuff like that. But uh, we also know that his agent is based out of here. But do we really see that as a possibility? I don't. This is how I view it. It's like. It's like um, it's like a cleaning product. You go to you buy, you go to you go, you go to the store to get some Lysol. You go to get that Lysol. You read the cover. And it, says it, and it says it kills 99.9% .9 of germs. But you still get that 0.01. That 0.01 is how I feel about Giannis coming to Chicago. I, it's just not that obvious. It's not happening. I don't see that happening. However, can we all dream? We all can dream here, right? <laughs> Dreams can come true. We can dream about Giannis coming to Chicago, you know, playing, playing under the six banners. Chasing the goat, you know, break the beat, taking on that challenge. I mean, if you won a championship in Milwaukee, you're the first to do it since Kareem and Oscar Robinson. Hey, why not take that challenge to Chicago and try to resurrect the resurrect uh those and resurrect those banners by bringing one to Chicago to be the first since Michael Jordan, the greatest to ever do it? Like, that's a challenge for him. I could see him potentially taking. And I'm not saying that it's smoke and mirrors, but what I am saying is. There has been a report out there by Christian Saltis that has said the Bulls are actually that. interested in getting his brother. What yeah, is the I one thing that. that Giannis is big on? Family. So if you're talking about getting his brother here and keeping him long-term here, Giannis is going to have to listen. He's going to have to at least have a meeting and be like, okay, you got my brother here. If y'all winning and you're keeping my brother, treating my brother right, I got to at least consider the option. I got to consider the possibility. 
So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying that. I don't expect it to happen at all. But the way things are moving with the Bulls maneuverment behind the scenes and with him not completely denying it, but playing good PR, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying one can drink. One can drink. I'm going to let you go, Torrance, and then I, I, I issue my thoughts on it. Yeah, man, a part of being an adult is letting dreams go. I don't... <laughs> Dreams involving the Chicago Bulls. I mean, it's just not going to happen. I felt the same way when Giannis said that. The way I felt when Aaron Rodgers told the bone dust last year. And I immediately cut the TV off because it was true. And it's in the Central Division for, like, the foreseeable future. You know, like, he's the NBA. He's not going to leave his throne in the division to come play with us. It was a good troll job. He's been in America long enough. He knows a good joke. That's my honest opinion on it. Like He's just playing with our, our emotions at this point. I, I I feel the same way. And I, in a way, it kind of the Bulls being interested in Costas Antetokounmpo is funny to me. It kind of reminds me of what the White Sox did when they signed um, Yonder Alonzo, who's the brother-in-law of Manny Machado the year before Manny Machado hit the free agency market. And even though Manny took a meeting, he didn't sign here. He signed in San Diego. It, it kind of reminds me a lot of that. It, it, it's smoking in mirrors to me. Um, Giannis definitely knows a good troll job. And one thing I know about Giannis, and I think we all know about Giannis is, he's always going to give you the answer that you want to hear. You know, he's always going to... Um, do the thing that you least expect him to do. I would have loved as an NBA fan to see him just hit free agency. I thought he would have been the biggest free agency in the last decade since LeBron James had he decided that as opposed to signing an extension with Milwaukee at the time before he won his first championship in Milwaukee. I would have been I would have been interested in seeing him put that pressure on the Bucks front office to see, you know, throughout that whole season because I think when that happens Front offices operate a lot differently, and you really start to see their true hands more often than not in a lot of those situations. Now, I'm glad that it did work out for him in Milwaukee and that he was able to lead them to a championship. That's a that's a big deal. He always be able to have his, you know, um, his old soil in Milwaukee and be a legend there forever because of that one championship, even if he never wins again. But I, I I'm not buying the um the Giannis to Chicago talk too much myself either. And I, I do, but I agree with you, Torrance. At some point, as much as I, I understand the Bulls paper wanting to dream and stuff, like that one, I couldn't see. I, I couldn't see. I, I couldn't see that. I would I, I would have liked to have seen the Bulls maybe go a little bit harder after Kevin Durant. And I saw that. I see that being a more realistic possibility than I do Giannis Antetokounmpo playing um, on the mat, in the Madhouse on Madison. Yeah, like that—that that, that was the team I said. Like, I felt like the Bulls made the most sense, and you know, I'm not really the most pro Bulls. Um, but yeah, I could see a guy like KD coming here. Right? New York City, but I honestly believe it—it's it, gonna take a certain like type of like superstar as a free agent. Um, just considering all the factors the the uh, non-friendly front office to superstars compared 
compared to other marks. Bending over backwards for players here. Yeah, good troll. I think they, I think they trying though. I, I mean, that that I'm like that Zach Levine thing is a is a big deal. As small as it might seem, the most like the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf actually coughed up two hundred million plus. You know, the the, the pay a, a athlete that's a huge deal. That's a landmark contract. But you're locking him in like uh what two years before the new TV. So I mean, you gotta always think the Bulls think ahead when it comes to money. Oh, absolutely. That kind of going to be pretty small compared to what's coming. A absolutely. All the more reason why you make more room for someone like Kevin Durant. It's all the more reason to do that. You give him a reason to, to, you know, to sign that much money for a superstar. And Kevin Durant has always been a big proponent. He's been very vocal of his support for the Bulls and what they've done, from Zach Levine yeah. to DeMar DeRozan to Kobe, Kobe White. White. Kobe White, you know, like he's been very, uh, very spoken, very spoken and, and and eloquent when it comes to his support of the Bulls and what they're doing over there. So, yeah, I won't be surprised if the Bulls was one of those teams that had private calls with them. It was like, yo, what you really want for Durant? Because, you know, they did their research correctly. Even though he didn't put the Bulls on there as, a, as one of his listed teams, he over there wearing that socks hat for a reason. Like, <laughs> You know, he represents Chicago. He, he, he messing with Chicago a little bit too. So, I, I mean, Kawhi, Kawhi, do the same thing though with Joe Fresh Goods and New Balance. I mean, I, I try not to make much of that, but I, I get what you're saying. And he has kind of, you know, hinted at it with Ku Coach jerseys and all that type of stuff. But I mean, I, I think that's something they tread to down the road. I think I'm more interested to see what they're gonna do with Vucevic. Um, you know, since we talk about bull specific talks and, and conversations, I'm more interested to see what they do with him. Uh, of course, we know he's gonna have every incentive to try and ball out. This he's looking at probably the last big payday of his career in his early 30s at this point is a big. Um, you know, how he performs, I, I think, is gonna dictate a lot of things. And I know they say that they've been talking with him on an extension, but any nothing is yet to come from that. And I think that is gonna be an interesting thing to see how the Bulls um handle that situation man because if they play that the way that i think they will and i won't tip my cap on that yet but if i play that the way that i think they will i think that they will have at least enough cap space to go after another big time star yeah you gotta remind ourselves that uh martyrs carnesivis changed the game by how front office is being done and work is being and business is being done with the bulls um, he's, he's changed the way how that goes. He's literally on that move where he's, 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 he's Jesus sounding like lasagna. Like, that's how it's, um, you know, so I would not be surprised if that is in the back of his mind where he said, you know what, we got that for being long-term. DeMar has been great for us. We want to keep DeMar here as a presence, and, and DeMar is well-known and loved around the league. I wouldn't be surprised if they just, if they're trying to keep it to where they can big up big four uh, from a roster perspective and superstar perspective because one thing we know about about team about superstars they're not gonna just go anywhere they want to go somewhere where there's a solid foundation and they're ready to win and the bulls can build that between now and the next couple of years you looking at uh, looking at the bulls being, uh, being a valuable option for super top tier superstar talent and depending on that superstar that's gonna take the bulls to the next level to getting back into the championship round of things so 
I would not be surprised if that's what they're thinking right now, especially when it comes to Vucevic's extension, knowing that he's up in age and the fact that depending on the contract that they give him, he has to be able to live up to that contract. Because ever since he came to Chicago, we have not seen consistent all-star Vooch. We've seen up and down because we see we've seen an up and down Vooch. We need that consistency if you want to give him the type of money that that most likely he's looking for. Oh yeah. I'm going to end it on that note, though, man. It, this was a good run, good session. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter, at War Media. You see the names below where you can follow all of us on Twitter. Um, make sure to check our workout at Anchor at War Media as well. You can always check out Josh Hicks' work on In The Scope podcast, on all podcast platforms. You know he's going to be touching down at the Shy League this weekend. I know he has some great stuff to report on that and some action. Um, you know, shout out to Drew, shout out to Chris, shout out to Cal, all the guys with War Media. Appreciate you, most importantly, Torrance, man, for coming on, man, first time. It's always a blessing to be able to talk basketball with you, get your insights on this stuff, man. Definitely got to get you back on, man. Oh, man. Appreciate you guys for having me. Anytime, anytime. And once again, um, as Cal always say, man, you know, keep bouncing, and we're going to catch you next time. Peace.